Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. Do you lay awake at night wondering if you have enough money to pay bills, let alone retire? In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money and a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost a dime of my clients' money. I will share with you secrets I've learned over two decades that only a few rich know. And really, they've been around for centuries. You know, really, most Americans are not prepared for their golden years, let alone today. No matter what your financial status is, You can be prepared to enjoy your life and never run out of money. Now, I've designed this show to present a bunch of really great information and let you hear different strategies from some amazing experts. And today, I'm so honored to have my guest today, Bill Gladstone. And he really needs no introduction, but he's just has... He's been involved in an agent with such luminaries as Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Neil Donald Walsh, Gene Houston, and Barbara Max Hubbard. Bill kick-started the Dummy series books and was at the forefront of the e-book revolution and is a publisher of note. A Yale and Harvard-trained cultural anthropologist, yes, he put the degrees to work, He traveled the world in search of mysteries for Rod Sterling's TV documentaries. Along the way, he further studied the indigenous peoples becoming an expert in the meaning of the 12-21-2012. One of the first to say it did not occur the end of the world and actually change in energy, it did occur the subject of his novel, The Twelve and the power of 12. On the cusp of retirement age himself, Bill loves what he does too much to even consider retiring, considering life's one great adventure. Bill, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. And yes, since the topic is retirement, I do want to warn the listeners that I don't believe in the concept at all. It's just transition to different activities. The only reason we have the notion of retirement really has to do with money. And the reality is you can make more money from your hobby, if you have the right hobby, than from your profession. So retirement, I don't think so. Finding things that you love to do, that give you pleasure, that help the world, and that sometimes actually make more money than you were making working, that's the direction I encourage people to go. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. You know, I really look at you know, the middle of life at, you know, 50, you're going to 100 or 110, you're just going to recreate yourself and take your passion and 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 transform it into something that will be able to, to help not only you, but help other people. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not to ignore the elephant in the room, age. There is a difference between being 50 and 20 or being 80 and 50. And what you might want to start when you're 50 
could be very different than what you might want to start when you're 80. Though I do have a good friend who started an internet-based book publishing service in his 80s. So, you know, with this new world where you're not really expected to lift and carry things physically, age really isn't the limit that it was when people first started talking about retirement, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Yeah, I, th- I think that's so wonderful. I got to enjoy my dad's 94th birthday yesterday, and his goal is 100. He doesn't want to go past 100. He's happy with 100. I said, okay, Dad, I'll take 110. <laughs> but it, it really is a different It is a different mindset, and, and retirement is such an outdated word. Um, when, when did the idea of retirement, when, how did that come about? Well, I think it has to do with government service because you got your gold watch and there you went. But um, I I don't really know. I'm not an expert on retirement per se. Um, But it's definitely a modern concept because if you go back and study history, the life expectancy of, you know, most people was, you know, less than 60. So I don't think many people got to the idea of retirement. They just died on on the spot while still working. Right, died on the spot. Well, you know, it actually means being put out to pasture. Well, we do know about retiring horses and oxen. (laughs) You know, they don't have the physical strength, and almost all that kind of retirement has to do with physical strength. And, of course, it's been, you know, close to 100 years since physical strength was really an essential part of most workers' lives. Right. And, you know, what's fascinating is that the retirement model really does impact people's self, self-worth self and sense of relevance, don't you think? Well, the most important thing to a happy life, we learned, uh, I produced a film with Gail Newhouse called Tapping the Source, and what we learned, the two most important elements in happiness were, one, having a sense of gratitude, mm-hmm. and two, having a way to be of service to others. Human beings are naturally wanting to associate with other people and wanting to do it in a way where they have a personal sense of achievement. And yes, money is just one of the ways that that acknowledgement is made. But many people who have had great financial success have told me that their greatest happiness has actually come after they had their financial success, and they found ways to give back to others. And it's not just wealthy people. You can be relatively humble in your financial uh, and material wealth and still find ways to give to others. My 89-year-old mother-in-law still goes to the hospital and volunteers every week, and it's probably one of the most important activities she does. It gives her a sense of purpose, and her other big... uh, giving is really taking care of her dog. She says, I can't die before my dog. Who's going to take care of him? So this idea of taking care of others, and it doesn't necessarily have to be humans, because Mm -hmm. from the point of view of all of life, all living things are linked. So whether it's plants, animals, pets, the environment, there's ways that each and every one of us, no matter our age, can still contribute. And I think it's through these contributions that we each find the greatest joy and purpose in our lives. You are absolutely right. And I think it's so fascinating. I've really watched, it's like a, it's like a revolution. There's a trend going on. There's so many people right now that are recreating themselves and 
getting out of the 8 to 5 and going, you know, I want to do my passion. I want to do something that I can, you know, give back and help help others and that they love to do themselves. So it seems to be a new trend. I, I think that you, you've hit on it. Now, my background as an anthropologist and a novelist, I, my newest novel, The Power of Twelve, is about the change in the paradigm that was prophesied to occur not just by the Mayans on December 21st, 2012, just a little less than a year ago, but also by many indigenous cultures. And almost all of these indigenous cultures share a belief that these are, in fact, not only the end times of one cycle, but the new times, the beginning times of a new cycle. And in most of these cultures, the differentiation between the two cycles is the difference between what they call male spiritual energy and female spiritual energy. And what we're entering now is a female spiritual energy time, which is more focused on nurturing, sharing, and caring, and not just on the male energy of achievement and accomplishment. Of course, you need both. And we need to balance our male and female. And when indigenous peoples talk about male and female energies, they're not necessarily talking about sexual energy or the difference in our anatomies between males and females. But this is sort of the the backdrop of my novel, The The Power of Twelve, in which I posit sort of the Illuminati, and I fictionalize them. Everything in my novel is fiction, even though I use real people, including former President Bush, who was with me at Yale and a member of Skull and Bone. So I, I base it on historical, accurate information. But if, as a novelist, I can write what I want. So I've right. created this wonderful villain, Arnold Wheeler Dealer, who's the grand light and keeper of the code of the Illuminati. And he, of course, wants to keep the status quo as it is. I kind of exaggerate a little. And in the novel, there's only 319 families in the Illuminati, and they're controlling over 90% of the wealth on planet Earth. And then you have Gail Newhouse, who is a fictional version of someone I actually know, and she's the author of a book, Full Feminine Power Now, and she's created a movement for the feminization of the planet that includes Project Wake Up, which would be a process in which every human being on planet Earth would be given a smartphone with all the information they need to live their highest and best life, not just from a practical material sense, but also in a spiritual psychological sense. So that sort of lays out the dynamics. Then you have people from planet Naranjada who are walk-ins, and there's a lot of science fiction in it, a lot of fun. But the point of the novel, and it really, you know, is really more than just entertainment, it is entertaining, is to posit what the dilemma facing our planet is at this time and how every single individual actually has the ability to contribute to either the positive evolution of our planet towards really unlimited abundance and heaven on earth or to go in the negative direction, which too much of general society is going right now, of fear and focus solely on short-term financial goals and short-term security goals, which ultimately will not lead us where we need to be as a civilization. Amen to that. I totally agree. You know, when I'm when I talk about pre-retirement, I say plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. Because what good does a million dollars do if you don't have your health, or you're not one with with your spirit and God? And it's crazy. So that is exactly the energy that I'm trying to do is to change 
the mindset that retirement just doesn't have to do with money. And your book sounds so exciting. I'm, I, you've got me already. I want to read it. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's one exactly of the goals. What I'm you know, we, in. <laughs> my, my publisher wants me to be sure everybody knows you can go to williamgladstone.org and you can order a copy of the book from my website or go to Amazon or and it's in Kindle and there's even a audio book you can order um, from Audible um, and it should be in Barnes and Noble and all the other major bookstores. So there's my plug for the book, but I, I'm really just happy talking about you know retirement and how we can oh be absolutely benefit well I want to talk we can talk about your book too and we can plug your book throughout the show <laughs> okay, no problem this is your show well that's Bill. the tradition that's the tradition I'm I'm a literary agent and I tell all my authors. Don't be shy about plugging your book. If you, you know, took the time to write it, you shouldn't right. be afraid to promote it because if nobody reads it, why did you write it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I just take, you know, I just say, well, this is my show, and you can plug it as much as you okay. want. Okay, good. <laughs> because it's, you know, it really all re- relates to the same thing. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about retirement with just mm-hmm. money. Like, you know, I'm talking about exactly what you're talking about so that people can understand. If they understand what you're talking about, then they have the right mindset to look at the the money part of it or the health part of it, and the, and they won't go for the old models that are broken. Right? Exactly, and we do need major change on this planet. I mean, if yeah. you're out there and you're listening to this show and you're comfortable financially and don't have to worry about the financial side of your, your life, good, and now you should be focusing on how can you contribute, not just for your own family and community, but on a larger scale. What difference can you make to ensure that 100 years from now this planet is going to afford future generations the same opportunities for joy and creativity and community that we have today? Because it's not automatic. Things have speeded up so quickly that we really are in a position of destroying not just life as we know it, but all of life within the next hundred years if we do not become right. more conscious of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I'm not just talking about the climate issues, which those alone you know, are, are frightening, but more importantly, what we strive for as human beings. Because I just got back from China, and you know, of course they're looking at what we have over here, and everybody has a car, and everybody has their own house, and you know, all these goodies, and they're saying, well, now it's our turn. Well, unfortunately, there's a billion, 300 million Chinese, and if each one of them had their own house and their own car, they would pollute their cities to the degree that they wouldn't even be habitable. It's almost happening already, and right. we're you know, just at the beginning. It's less than 20 years into you know, the pursuit of the material for the, the average Chinese person. So these are big issues, and they're not issues that can be easily solved, but the first step in solving them is for each human being to sort of go within and realize who they are as a human soul, not just as a personality, and why they're here and what the purpose of life is. And if you start with that, there will be many opportunities to connect with other people who share similar long-term goals for this planet. And that's really where it starts. The specific solutions, whether you know we come up with you know, cold fusion to replace, you know, carbon-based energy. Those specific solutions are available to us as a species. But those solutions will not be utilized or explored unless the majority of human beings push 
for a change in the way that we've organized our economies, our, our political entities, and really every element of society from education to health. I mean, we could get into a whole discussion on this show just about the problems with our health care system. And you know, I'm sure we'll have <laughs> sure. 99% of the, the audience saying, it's wrong. Everything is, you know, it, it's getting worse, not better. And, and, you know, all the problems of Obamacare and everything else. Right. And, you know, I, I, I totally sympathize with the intent of Obamacare. Unfortunately, um, many people have come to me already and told me it's just not working for them. Um, right. I, I haven't been affected personally, but it does seem to be a big mess. So change is not easy, but, you know, we have to, we have to come to the realization that change is necessary. And uh, without it, we will not survive as a species. If we continue going in the direction that we're going, this world is doomed. It truly is. Because right. from an energy perspective and just from a, a, a safety, security perspective, you can't have the tremendous disequilibrium between the very wealthy and the very poor that we have on our planet today. Um, Absolutely. The, the, Absolutely. the reality is the communications are such that everyone is aware of everything. So yeah. it's not, you know, maybe 500 years ago you could be a wealthy prince and living it up and, you know, somebody could be starving in a different part of the world and right. neither group would know of the existence of the other, so it really never became an issue. But when you have, you know, visible through your smartphone scenes of destruction and, and poverty and, you know, it's just not possible to ignore. And then, of course, we have all the you know political issues and terrorism, and you know we we don't need to try to solve every problem on the show. But right, you know, right. it's enough to know that they're out there and that they're not insolvable. These problems can be solved, but it does start with creating a new mindset. How are we going to approach solving the problems and not necessarily becoming a you know, Candide, it's the best of all possible worlds. It's not the best of all possible worlds. It's the world that we have collectively created, and we collectively can change it. And there are bad people out there, and there are evil energies, and we do need to protect ourselves and to, you know, prevent those who do not share, you know, positive views for the planet from having too much access to power. But we need to also look at the causes and, uh, you know, I think that we, we haven't done a, a good enough job of looking, why does anybody out there want to destroy our country? Why are there terrorists? And, you know, there's some answers that, you know, don't really offer any positive solutions, just brainwashing and, you know, people with, you know, evil intent. But there's also situations where um, we have not exercised our power and our resources in positive ways, and we've we've created enemies. Right. Exactly, and and it does seem like it seems like on one level, you know, there's a spiritual war going on. It's almost like the war between good and evil. And well, many people believe that that is in fact true. Fortunately, the majority of those people, and this is why I write my novels, um, not just indigenous people, but you know, everyday people who have pursued spiritual communication, if you will are reporting repeatedly that the war between good and evil is real and that, in fact, just in the last 20 to 30 years, good has triumphed on a spiritual right. basis. Right. That There were a lot of negative energies, and that's why you had Nostradamus and other prognostications of the end of the world. And there was actually, and this is you know not something I can verify scientifically, but... Mm -hmm 
from many different spiritual sources, a real chance that we could have destroyed ourselves and our planet. And right. for a variety of reasons, that did not occur. The, 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 the light, if you will, overcame the dark, and we are now in a much safer environment energetically. And it, this does correspond with some scientific facts. The, the reality is it takes 26,000 years for the complete rotation in, a, in the wobble of our planet to complete a cycle, and that occurred just last year. How the Mayans knew that, I don't know. <laughs> it was in part of their calendar. Um, but So there is a new cycle emerging, and according to many different spiritual sources, this is the cycle that we've been waiting for where it is now possible to have positive change. At the same time, people shouldn't think that means that there won't continue to be, you know, right. changes and, and hurricanes and, you know, earth changes and all these, you know, calamities that are going to continue to happen. Transition is always fraught with negative as well as positive. But overall, we are intended, according to many different spiritual sources, to be going in a positive direction. So, you know, we all need to keep focus on it. It won't happen if we don't contribute. But there is, at least from the spiritual people I've talked to, a very good sense that we've gotten through the worst. I, you know, I can I can see um, amongst people that I run into in a different events that there there is like a, a group of people that are almost raising up and joining together and and the power of two and twelve and you know all of the, everybody uniting. Uh, that energy is changing and creating. Well, positive. we have scientific evidence that thought and emotions can make differences in our physical world. There's a group called HeartMath that I work very closely with. I happen to publish some of their books, and um, they're just an incredible research organization that also works on reducing stress for corporate employees at a number of corporations throughout the world. And they're doing a big not-for-profit project called Resonance, where they're studying how resonance can improve daily life from things lowering crime rates, lowering uh, you know domestic violence, um, increasing longevity, uh, all kinds of positive impact just from people coming together with positive intent. And they've discovered that you need fewer positive intent people to create a difference in the random generator computers at Princeton universities than negative. Apparently, positive unity resonance has greater energetic value and power than random negative thoughts. So that's also another very good sign that we can point to. That's great. I mean, and and really, the, it's it's fascinating to see the science, you know, verify the spirit and what's happening. You know, that's that's really great exciting so you know to the every to the listener that's sitting out there going okay so how do i create a new mindset okay you know what what do they do what, how can they well there's i mean i can only point to the things that have worked for me and the people i know so it depends where you are in your journey and you know you can be 70 and sort of be at a beginner stage and you could be nine years old and be in an advanced stage because we're all different Right. So don't let your age be an inhibitor. But if, you know, the idea of positive thinking and some of these other ideas are new to you, I would start with something. Our, our film is really created just for 
sort of the first step. It's called Tapping the Source, and you go to, to tappingthesourcemovie.com, and we interviewed over 122 people and asked them just two simple questions. What is your source of happiness, and how do you stay connected to that source on a daily basis? And we got just great uh, information from that, and it really is an inspiring film. And what most people report is that in some way they stay connected to their source of happiness through either communing with nature, meditating, or just taking a few minutes a day to go within. So that's really the first step for anyone who wants to start changing their world. Go within, connect with what we would call your higher self. Now, a lot of people may feel, I don't have a higher self. I'm Joe. I've been Joe. I'm, uh, you know, I raised six kids. That's enough already. Don't tell me about this higher Joe. Well, Joe, there's a higher self within you, and it's time for you to take some time. The kids are grown, and just sit with yourself. Now, for me personally, and I'm I'm pretty much a guy's guy. I like to play tennis and golf, and I, I make time for that. And even though I'm competing and, and you know focused on winning the tennis or the golf, when I'm doing that, I, I'm really out of my ordinary life, and I'm able to take – a few moments, and just enjoy being. And that's really the first step. Each one of us is gifted just to be alive, and we, don't, and, and we take that for granted. If you just start and take 30 seconds a day just to be thankful to yeah. be alive, that alone is the first step towards changing your perspective and connecting you with the reality that there is a higher Joe and that you want to be with that higher Joe as much as you can. <laughs> Right, right, exactly, and you know, and and it, it's so true. Um, I mean, for years, when I started to do that and and take that time out, it's amazing. It gets really clear, and 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 the voice gets really louder, and and you, it's fascinating what comes to you because if you ask, you do receive, and you get the next step. You don't get it all at once, right? You no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, and, it's, and you can't be demanding. Like one of the reasons we made yeah. Tapping the Source was even though that movie The Secret was so successful and it did do something positive in introducing the concept of the law of attraction, the reality is it had the law of attraction backwards. It's not about thinking and visualizing what you want and then you get it. The true law of attraction, which was developed by Charles Hanel, who was the, the mentor for us in creating Tapping the Source based on his master key system, the true law of attraction, according to Charles Hanel, is the law of love. Positive energy will attract positive energy. So the more positive energy you exude, the more you give to others and give selflessly, not with the idea that I'm giving because I want to get back. I'm just giving for the joy of giving. I'm loving for the joy of loving. Then the universe, and maybe not right away, it could take a year, could take five years in some cases, depends on many factors. But that love, that positive energy will come back in an unexpected form many times. And even if you're not able to measure it, you will be feeling better immediately because the act of giving and of experiencing a higher vibration is immediately visceral throughout your entire body. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad to hear you say that, really, because I really did think a lot of people got a little misled, a lot of good stuff in there, but it was misconstrued a little bit. Because basically the foundation of it is a man thinketh, 
so he is. So, it, But adding the element of love, of doing everything from love and giving selflessly instead of, well, I'm going to be nice to this person so I can get this, it just takes it right off the map of what's, what's really being talked about. Well, the the reality, it has to do with vibrations. Each one of us is vibrating. And if you are vibrating at a relatively high frequency, you want to stay there because it feels better than when you're vibrating at a lower frequency. A a simple example is, you know, somebody cuts you off on the road, you're going to be angry. That's going to lower your vibration. Um, A a family member, you know, speaks harshly to you, that's going to lower your vibration. And, you know, if you stay with that and you get in an argument – you know, next thing you know, I mean, this is why we have domestic violence. I mean, you get lower and lower in your vibration. It doesn't feel good. In the same way, think of it the other way. You meet somebody. They're lovely. They're, they make a compliment. You make a compliment. They comment on something they know about you that is, you know, makes you feel better. You comment about something you know about that <laughs> makes them feel better. Next yeah. thing you know, you got a love fest going on. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be sexual. And you're feeling better. Now, if you want to be in that higher vibe, you actually have a lot to do with creating that for yourself by your own actions and by the way that you treat yourself. Are you giving yourself negative thoughts all the time? Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Oh, you know, bum, bum. You know, we all make mistakes. Get over it. Forgive yourself. Move on and find things to compliment yourself. Find ways to be in love with yourself and love yourself. That's really where it all starts. That's it. That's so beautiful. And, you know, um, you know, talking about changing the paradigm and which is happening and um, a being of service to others. And um, a lot of people don't really even know how to do that. They don't. And just well, it starts, they, I mean, one of the things that I tell people is if you have nothing to give, you can give a smile. Oh. And that can be enough. It's not about having a lot of resources. Obviously, if you have a lot of resources, you can do more. But you don't need to have a lot to give a lot. You naturally have your soul and you have your human joy. And if you can share that, that's enough. Ooh, beautiful. That sounds like a new song right there. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. You know, your your book's got me, The Power of Twelve. Tell everybody again how Well, The Power can... of Twelve, you can find out more information at williamgladstone.org. There's also onetothebook.com. They're actually the same site now. Onetothebook.com was my original author site that was created for Twelve, which if you get a chance, I don't think the bookstores have it anymore because it was published about five years ago, but it's still available on Kindle and as an audio book. And it is the first book in the the two book series the 12 and the power of 12 but you can read the power of 12 without having read the 12 and and you know you're not lost it, it it's not dependent upon having read the first book but of course if you have the time reading them in order is a little little more interesting are you talking about you know because I don't really know anything about it. Are you talking about the Illuminati and what, really what's happening? On well, the in, in the Power of Twelve, we're, we're definitely talking about the Illuminati. I go out of my way to fictionalize. There's right. many people who believe that the Illuminati is an actual organization that is active today. I personally don't believe that, though I've you know, incorporated the concept into the novel. What I do believe, which is perhaps more frightening, is that whether the Illuminati exists or not, there has 
been created an economic power elite on this planet, which probably numbers less than 10,000 families, which actually does control 90% of the wealth on our planet. So whether there's an Illuminati in fact or not, the impact on how we might deal with the future is the same. Just recently, I read an article, uh, the Associated Press, which is pretty accurate, and they have calculated that 111 individuals control more than 35% of the entire Russian economy. Um, This is not, unfortunately, fiction. (laughs) I mean, the the, the reality is we've created an economic system, and, you know, I, I love capitalism. I've made a lot of money and you know, actually, I'm having a very good week. I, I just uh, agented a book, uh, Soul Healing Miracles by Dr. and Master Shah, and we sold 50,000 copies today. So I'm Ooh. benefiting a lot. It's a very good day for me. But, you know, so I love capitalism, and I think people should be rewarded for their efforts. But we've created <laughs> an unexpected turn where somebody can do something, and suddenly they're worth 50 to $100 billion. I'm not talking million. Yeah. This is never the intent of a of a sane economic system. Uh, why would we have one person worth more than, you know, right. 5% of the entire human population? I mean, I think that the latest calculations is the Forbes 2000 or whatever has greater wealth than the entire bottom 20% of the entire world. Ooh. I mean, just think about that. It's just so out of proportion. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not right. Uh, and it's not viable even for those at the very top. There is a limit to what a human being needs. Um, I've talked with some spiritual masters who had said they need to put a cap, $20 million per year. No one should be able to make more than $20 million per year. That actually sounds very logical to me. If you can't be happy with $20 million a year, you know, <laughs> something's wrong. You know, what more do you need? Um, you know, and, and, and it's just, you know, and... and you know, and, and and I'm not criticizing you know the super wealthy per se because there's variety everywhere. I think what Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing is great, and Warren Buffett, and they have this new you know program where all the billionaires are supposed to give at least 50% of their wealth to charity upon their death. That's a good right. start, but you know if you have 50 billion, that still means you kept 25 billion. Um, you know, right. maybe maybe you don't need 25 billion. Yeah, maybe the people that need water and food could have some of that, right? Yeah, and and you know, and then and it's not an easy solution. I'm not saying people should give all the money to the government. We certainly see the inefficiency there, and you know, there's corruption and greed all around us, and it's not just you know one group that that has the sinners, if you will. So yeah. you know, you have to monitor all this. I actually predict if everything goes in the positive direction that has been prophesized by indigenous cultures that probably by the end of this century we will have eliminated for all practical purposes the use of money that we will find a way to replace it so that our economies can run more on an energy exchange that is positive and in which everyone is entitled to the minimum and then, you know, within that, we'll still have all of the creativity and diversification. And, you know, there, we don't want everyone having the same. So that's not going to be the way it is. But it's going to happen in another way where money itself is not going to be the sole determiner of who has the most material possession. Right, because money is just the, the it's a material form of the energy that's being exchanged. Exactly. And in today's economy, it's a complete fantasy. 
There is no money. I mean, banks, governments, they print it up. Oh, we need some more of it. It's backed by this. Oh, guess what? We don't really have any gold in Fort Knox. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Just keep going. Otherwise, the economies will crash. Well, right. it, it's all based on a house of cards. And, and, you know, just the way the Berlin Wall came down, someday in the distant future, and it may only be 30 to 40 years, I think the entire economic system of this planet is going to collapse and yep. be recreated. We need to be yeah. thinking about how is it going to be recreated. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because it's kind of leading into the next question that came to my mind was that there's, you know, there's a group of people that actually think that this, this economy is all manipulated, that they're, you know, killing America and they want to make the one world government. They've already got the money made. The banks are going to go under and they're basically going to renumber the money system and and they're going to at this, you know, create this one currency. Well, I'm not an expert on on those specific issues, so I'm I, you know, but just energy wise. But from an energetic point of view, right? I, and I've gone both ways. I mean, it's funny because in my novel, The Power of Twelve, I kind of paint the Illuminati as the bad guys, and yeah. in the novel, they certainly are. But in reality, I'm not sure because the Illuminati were originally created as good guys, and the over concentration in wealth in a very few hands, in spite of the negative along the way that that creates could, in the long run, be a positive. It's like the fever needs to get worse so it can break. Because if you ended up with 90% of the wealth in the hands of you know 50 people, and these 50 people finally got a clue, they would actually have the power to voluntarily destroy the entire economic system in a positive way to end the disparity of wealth. So... You know, it's hard to, to sort of know how this is all going to play out. But from an energetic, spiritual point of view, absolutely certain that it has to change. We cannot have the present economic system go on too much longer if we expect this planet to survive. Right. Right. Because it's motivating people to the wrong things. It's it's creating companies which exist solely to market goods that are not needed. <laughs> and you know, people yeah. lose track that we're part of a biological system. And if we're spending our energy on things that are not productive, the quality of life will diminish. I mean, one obvious example, which is quite unfortunate, and we'll probably get a lot of debate on this, is our entire TSA. All of the billions, if not trillions of dollars that have been spent on quote, security, which I, I have questions whether it's secure at all. But it's such a waste. And, 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 you know, think of all the time, energy, and material money, because you have all these devices and stuff going into it, right. that is being wasted on a planetary level. Now, you know, I'm not saying there aren't terrorists, and, you know, we need to deal with terrorism as well. But if we didn't have terrorism, I mean, just think, when I was growing up, and probably most of your listeners, 50 years ago, we didn't have security. We didn't need security. Right. And, you know, I don't think we really need it today either. I mean, it's, and if we do need it, we need to find the solution so we don't need it because it's a complete misuse of the resources of this planet. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, as as people, like, are are being, you know, they're coming, like the shakening, I'll just say, the shakening is actually going to make Joe maybe look into himself and say, hey, there is, you know, more to this than, you know, being born, having kids, and dying. Right? Yeah. Well, that that is really the, the ultimate 
awareness that I'm trying to share in my novels and my nonfiction. I had, and, and I write a lot about this in my first novel, the, the the Twelve. I had a near-death experience when I was 15, and I did experience a, a bliss and a joy when I was dead that was beyond. And I mentioned this again in the in the movie Tapping the Source, and it really was a pivotal moment for me in raising my own awareness. Interestingly, at the time it happened, I was so discouraged by my family and, and colleagues and fellow teachers, students, because they thought I was a little crazy because nobody had really had those kinds of experiences, and they just thought it was, oh, the oxygen was shut off to your brain and right. all these you know, pseudoscientific explanations. Well, since that experience, which I had in the 60s, I've personally met dozens of people who had similar experiences, and I've represented authors who have written books in which they've interviewed hundreds, in some cases thousands of people who've had near-death experiences, and over 90% of the experiences are very similar to the experience that I had. And what these people have experienced is the continuation of consciousness after death. And once you've had that experience, you realize that it's not just words when you know different religions tell us we are eternal beings that we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings who sometimes have a spiritual experience. Our human life, as precious and wonderful as it is, is but a drop of water in the continuum of consciousness that each and every one of our souls represents. And once you experience that, and you know, it, 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 and I'm not you know, pushing any of your listeners who haven't had the experience to just believe me, because... Until you experience it, you can't know that it's true. But I would encourage people, at least be open to the possibility that it's true. And just being open to that possibility, I think, will give each and every person greater hope and joy that their own existence, particularly if they're towards the end of their physical life, is not going to end with their death. Right. Right, and and you know what I find fascinating that even in that this conversation is becoming mainstream. I mean, they just had a, a show on CNN with people that were talking about their life after death. And, and well, you know, we had that huge bestseller. You know, was it even? I can't say his name, but I, I didn't represent him. I unfortunately oh. sold a million copies. <laughs> okay. you know, the doctor who who you know reported his his experiences in heaven and. You know, oh, yeah. it, it, right. it's becoming very mainstream. Sixty yeah. Minutes, Twenty Twenty, all of the, yeah. the news shows, you know, are you know at least once every six months. It seems having somebody on who's back from the other side. Right. And I I happen to represent Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona, Harvard, Yale trained psychology professor, who's actually doing double blind scientific experiments, proving beyond any reasonable doubt that. The survival of consciousness is real, and even measuring the energetic exchanges that take place from souls on the other side during healing operations. And just and, and the reason we sold 50,000 copies of our Soul Heal- Healing Miracles book by Dr. Shah is he's actually been using this, quote, medical technology of, of pulling on what he calls guides and saints and guardians from the other side in the healing process. And so it's really revolutionizing the way medicine is operating and also the way that we're realizing that life does not end 
when our bodies cease to function. That's right. That's right. I, that that's thrilling. That's really exciting to hear. Yeah, that. Dr. Sean Gary just met. I put him together. And Gary's actually going to do some scientific experiments because even though I think Dr. Shaw is fantastic, I'm still puzzled. How does it work? It just mm-hmm. seems, you know, it, 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 it's, it's too far out to to yeah. measure. And Gary says, no, no, I can measure it. So we'll oh, hopefully next time I'm on your show, I'll have some yeah. scientific data on why this works and how this. Oh, works. how cool! This is great stuff, Bill. I love it. This is awesome. I I really can you give us a small cap? I'd like a little outline of your more about your book, The Power of Twelve. Well, sure. I mean, the, the the current book is The Power of Twelve, and it's really about what happened the day after the Mayan calendar ended. Uh, Hollywood made a big deal, and many people yeah. have made a big deal about the the Mayan calendar. And I, uh, Harvard trained cultural anthropologist, and I studied uh, the Mayan uh, and you know spent time in Chiapas and you know, really became an expert on the Mayan calendar before I went into book publishing. And so I was always fascinated by it. And then I wrote a novel called The Twelve about five years ago. And after I wrote the novel, um, I was contacted by Jose Arguelles's personal biographer. And Jose Arguelles was a fascinating individual. He passed a couple of years ago. But he created an event in 1987 called the Harmonic Convergence that over a million people participated in. Right. And Jose was the first person in the Western world to draw attention to the Mayan calendar and the importance of the Mayan calendar as symbolizing the end of a 26,000-year cycle and, of course, the beginning of a new 26,000-year cycle. And Hollywood got hold of it and only focused on the end, and the end to them meant the end of the world, and, you know, they made a lot of money with their movies and stuff. But Jose was really, you know, on to the next thing. And what was this new cycle going to be about? Anyway, I had written the first draft of my novel, The Twelve, and because I was working with his biographer, I sent it to him via his biographer and with the hope that he would read it and because it was about 2012, give me some kind of comment that I might be able to use on the blurb. Well, not only did he read it, but he wrote back an email. This was I had not met him at the time, so there's no personal connection. And he just said, I have no idea why I read your novel, The Twelve. I'm so busy with my own books. I barely have time to read somebody else's nonfiction book related to my work, let alone a novel. But you had 2012 in the title, and I picked it up, and I found it very you know, captivating, read it to the end, and I have to tell you that in a parallel universe, you and I are the same being, because my life has been dedicated to bringing the true meaning of the Mayan calendar to the general public, and the way you've presented your view of the Mayan calendar is exactly my view. So we became close friends after I got that email, and I realized, and I did make a few minor changes in the novel, because that was the early draft, because I realized that my novel, The Twelve, which was usually successful, it sold over half a million copies worldwide, um, really somehow was conveying the authentic message of the Mayans. Not just Jose confirmed this, but actual Mayan elders uh, with whom I met in Mexico. And I also realized that there were elements in my own life that had been created so that I would write this authentic novel. It wasn't that I channeled this information. It was that I was channeled to live a very specific life where I would have some remarkable experiences that I would want to write about that would convey the message. When I was very young, right out of Yale, 
I was offered the opportunity to travel around the world as the researcher for Rod Serling's In Search of Ancient Mysteries. And so I actually was paid to visit every sacred site on our planet. And in that experience, I, uh, you know, I, I realized some amazing things about our planet. And when it came time for me to write my novel, The Twelve, it was you know, natural for me to create a character based on my own actual self. And I gave that character, particularly the first draft, because when I first started writing The Twelve, I wasn't sure whether it was going to be nonfiction or fiction. My original title was, you know, memoir or prophecy, and it was sort of autobiographical. I ended up fictionalizing it, but I kept the most authentic experiences, and it's those experiences that are described throughout the book, an encounter with a Tibetan monk, an encounter with a yogi who actually levitated me out of my body and took me to another planet in another galaxy. I mean, experiences that it was better at the time, certainly that I presented them as fiction, because a lot of people would say, Bill, you've lost it. This couldn't be true. But I I, I encourage anyone who does go back and read The Twelve, the more outrageous the experience described, the more accurate it is and nonfiction. The fiction part was changing small things, the nature of ex-wives and things like that. But the really sort of Twilight Zone-type moments in the novel are all based on actual experiences. But in any event... I did see that I had a a unique life that, when written about in the way that I did in that novel, The Twelve, really did allow me to convey the true meaning of the Mayan calendar. And one of the things that I learned along the way is that the Mayan calendar is not even the Mayan calendar. The Mayans are really the popularizers of the Mayan calendar, and the calendar itself was created probably two to 3,000 years before the Mayans became the dominant culture in uh, Mexico and Guatemala and other areas that, you know, the Mayans lived. So it's all very interesting. And then when it came time after, so I wrote the, the 12 and it was very successful. And then my publisher came to me and said, Bill, we did really well with the book. You need to write a sequel. I wasn't even thinking about writing another book. I kind of had felt, wow, you know, I'm so happy and the world has accepted this book and I, you know, really like the book and, you know, yeah. One and done. I'm good. You know, I have nonfiction that I like to write. I don't need to write another novel. But my publishers encouraged me. They said, no, no, we, we need a sequel. So I wrote The Power of Twelve, and when I started it, I really wasn't sure the direction it was going to go, but it kind of took over. I created some characters and some events, and next thing you knew, I was writing about the Illuminati, the role of George Bush, the, the role of GMO, the the you know, importance of feminine energy in transforming our planet, the ability of technology to play a very positive role, and how this could actually happen in real life. And when you read The Power of Twelve, which is, again, populated with real people like Barbara Marks Hubbard and Jack Canfield, as well as fictional people, um, the, one of the most fascinating parts of The Power of Twelve is that the main location, Chateau Massilli, is an actual chateau in Czechoslovakia outside of Prague that happens to be owned by some good friends of mine. And um, they really do have events at which the super elite congregate to make decisions that hopefully are going to have a positive impact on our planet. So even though it's a fictional novel and it's done in good fun, there's a lot of truth in it. And I do get into some really heady philosophical concepts for those who like philosophy. I get into the nature of the Akashic Records, the nature of infinity, the, the, the actual possible 
origin and end of our universe, what that would look like, why it would be. And, you know, I can't prove anything, but interestingly, I've had quantum physicists read the novel and tell me, well, from a physics point of view, your description of sort of the contraction and expansion, almost like breathing of all matter, is probably accurate as anything we know about the possible origin and eventual destruction and recreation. The way I've envisioned things, we really will never have an end to our universe because one universe will end, and just like the cycle the Mayans have described just ended, the very instant of one cycle ending will have a new cycle beginning. So the very instant that one universe ends will have a new universe beginning. And then when you add infinity to it and the nature of time and space, it, it, it really gets a little complicated. But the good news is life is in reality eternal. Our souls are going to be here well beyond this planet's life, and uh, the adventure never ends. So that's the good news. In the meantime, we all need to focus on being sure we have enough money in the bank to get through the next 20 years of you know, normal economy, which is not going to change before then. And we need to find ways to be kinder and gentler to each other and to ourselves. Beautiful. Well said. Nice stuff, Bill. This is really exciting. I could see that we could be talking for hours here. And I find it fascinating, the 12, because I see that in a lot of different spiritual teachings, the 12 disciples. and, and different Well, that was one of my motivations in the very beginning. Actually, the, the original idea for the 12 came from an encounter I had with a woman who had had a near-death experience. And during her near-death experience, she had been given 12 names. And I actually was originally going to write about her, but I had actually had almost the identical experience and been given 12 energies, and um, so and I couldn't find her, so that's why I became the, the protagonist, uh, Max Duff, in the book. But the idea of 12, I learned, is really the basis of everything in our universe. 12, according to Plato and Pythagoras, is the structure and shape of the universe itself, the dodecahedron, they believe. And it's only in the last 20 years that we've learned that the dodecahedron, the 12-shaped uh, cube, is also the shape of our DNA, and that if it were any other shape, we could not pass along our genetic information. And then, of course, everything in between, if you just look at civilizations, you know, it's not just the 12 disciples, but 12 or a variation of 12 is at the root of every major civilization and every major religion that I've studied. The Muslims believe 144 is a sacred number. The Hindus, 108. That's 12 times 12 and 9 times 12, respectively. Even in supposed mythical civilizations, you had 12 uh, uh, seers, I think they were, in Atlantis, um, the Mayan had the 12 princes. Right. 12 is at the root of you know, our jury system. It's at the root of our measurements, you know, 12 inches to a foot, 12 eggs to a dozen, the idea of a dozen. Just 12, if you start looking, you'll see 12 everywhere. It's fascinating how precise God and everything is so, I mean, to the very, you know, as you unfold them, how it's just beautiful. I just, it's just it, you know, really... I'm, I really, I really want to encourage my listeners to get your book. Tell them again. Run to thebook.com or williamgladstone.org to get to the website. And the books are The Twelve and The Power of Twelve. And then also other book that I wrote recently, Tapping the Source, as well as tappingthesourcemovie.com, so you can get the film. And 
all of these books, and there's also The Golden Motorcycle Gang, which is a book I co-wrote with Jack Canfield, and all of my books and movies share these positive, uplifting messages, but they're all done in story form, and they're all done to entertain, and they're not didactic, but, you know, and they're all PG. You can share them with your kids. Yeah. And um, one of the most gratifying things is I, I've had children as young as 12 read my novels and, you know, tell me how much they enjoyed them. So um, they're really PG, all ages, and at the same time, they will push you to think, because I think yeah. thinking is one of the most important things you can do as a human being, and right. when you're thinking, you're growing, and Growing does not mean growing old. It just means growing. Absolutely. There's no time and space, right? Well, there is for us. And I, I mean, ultimately, from the point of view of, of physics, there's no time and space. Or and, distance and love. And in a higher, but you, I mean, that would get into a complicated discussion of we're a fractal of a fractal. And within our fractal, there is unfortunately time and space and there's a limited life to our organs and our cells and you know we're not going to in our physical state unless there's a real leap in technology you know live forever but in our spirit and in our consciousness right. we will that's what i was talking about right <laughs> okay. the real part that's going to go on and for those of you again my name is chris Miller, and i'm the host of this show called ready set retire and author of the book Ready for Pretirement. You can reach out to me at Chris at Ready for Pretirement. That's P R E T I R E M E N T dot com. Got a great free article on the three myths of financial planning. And I'm really, in a way, talking about the same thing. I'm talking about the broken model and how there is a new model being made. And it isn't just about money, but it has, you know, a lot to do with that. And, um, We've got a little bit of time left, Bill, if you want to give us a little cherry on the top to take home with us. Well, I just would say we're at the holiday season here, and, you know, the holidays can be stressful. Don't let it stress you out. Don't buy into, you know, the holidays is about buying all these presents and having this big feast. If that's part of your holiday, that's great. But if it's not this year for whatever reason, don't stress about it. Holiday is really about taking some time for yourself for those you love, and just acknowledging how wonderful it is to be alive at this time. And you don't need to have, you know, a big festive celebration to to be aware of that. So if you are having a big festive celebration, make it the biggest, best bang out you've ever had. But if you're alone this holiday, if you're, you know, recovering from an illness, if your loved ones are far away, it doesn't mean you can't take time and just be grateful that you are alive, that you are part of this fantastic planet at this very fantastic time of transition. Unlike any time in the history of our planet, your thoughts and your energy have a greater potential positive impact than at any other time in the history of our world. So be grateful that you're alive at this time and have a wonderful holiday. Well, Bill, thank you so much. That That is really says it all and and it's sort of a sigh a sigh of relief that you know you don't have to give presents you don't you just you know take time to be inside i mean one of the greatest presents i'm going to give to myself if it's a sunny day is i'm going to take a walk on the beach wherever you are there's got to be you know even if it's all full of snow even you know a 10 minute walk in the in the mountain snow would be a great gift to give you yourself you mean i have to take time off of work okay <laughs> That sounds great, Bill. I really, really, really have enjoyed talking with you, and I know we really could keep on 
There's a lot. Well, I'm sure I'll be writing more books. I've got uh, actually, I'm probably going to write my next book with Dr. Shah himself because I want to learn more about his amazing soul healing miracles. I do recommend people go on to Amazon and get a copy of his book today. It's we just had to reprint another 200,000 copies. It's selling so fast. But particularly for people with health issues, the techniques really work. I can't totally explain why or how they work, but within the book itself, there's some calligraphy that I've actually used myself to heal a elbow problem. And what Dr. Shah is about is I can perform soul healing miracles, you can perform soul healing miracles, and it seems to be true. So as a gift to yourself, you might want to get that book also. And that's called Soul 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 Healing Miracles by Dr. and Master Shah, um, S-H-A. But it's uh, available everywhere. It should be in every bookstore and, you know, definitely Amazon and all those good places. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that, too. And and you have a wonderful holiday. And I really want to thank you for being with us today. Well, it's been a pleasure. And you have a great holiday as well. Okay. Thanks a lot. Found out you can't take the curve at 85 My whole life flashed before my eyes I braced myself to leave this world behind As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? From that moment I became a brand new me With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day When I'd have to search inside of me and say Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well cause when the curtain falls there ain't no second chances and you don't want to ask yourself did I live did I love did I matter to someone did I give everything I had to give Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? 
Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter? Oh, oh. did I matter?